When you hear a statistic say that the average American brushes their teeth 1.02 times a day, ask yourself, how could they have figured it out? Does it make sense that it could have been researched effectively? In this case, they would have had to ask, and don't you think it's a safe assumption that people lied? Neil, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Good. I have my mushroom coffee, so I'm definitely ready for a entertaining episode. Ooh, yes. Well, as soon as the caffeine kicks in. <laughs> well, the, the great thing about mushroom coffee is that it really uh, makes you think. <laughs> you couldn't resist. I know. It's, 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 it's a little early in the episode for making these jokes. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the book we are covering. <laughs> yeah, if you can't tell from your, your podcast player, the book we're covering today is How to Lie with Statistics by Daryl Huff. And we've probably mentioned this at least four or five, six times in other episodes. And so it seemed like it was time to go ahead and do it. Yeah, this is this was a fun book to, to read. And I hadn't read it until you had mentioned it, I think, on a few of the other episodes. And I'm surprised it took me so long to actually read this book. Yeah, it's a great it's a great little like pocket guide to not getting fooled by stupid numbers, right? And <laughs> yeah. I, I feel I feel like I don't directly acknowledge it in that I've you know read and reread my summary notes from this so many times that I've kind of internalized so many of the ideas, and I probably use them almost every day, right? Because someone will say something and relating to a statistic and my immediate reaction will be like mm, yeah like you can also look at it this way or you know how did they get that number or what are we not seeing and it's really useful for not getting tricked by data especially since we people i think rely on data for so much of their thinking now and will easily let their opinion be swayed by a nice use of statistics in an article or a blog post or whatever. So it's a very, very practical book. Yeah, it gives it it gives it the air of truth. Exactly. Right. And when you when you put a stat in front of something, but there's so many ways as we'll get into so many ways to game a stat that it kind of makes you not trust any stat you look at, you have to almost dig deeper into well, how did they get that sample? Or, you know, are they cherry picking the dates that the, the sample starts from and ends at? Uh, not, you know, that's a pretty common one, but yeah, there's so many different ways people can game a data set to make it say what they want it to say. Exactly. Yeah. It sort of forces you to, I think internalizing these rules is probably, you know, serves you well. And I, I think I need to do that. And I also find that a lot of the things that were talked about in this, um, they're talked about in Taleb's work as well, but in a, probably this is much more of like the fundamentals, right? And I actually wish I read, actually going back to Taleb after reading this might be more interesting, especially like Fooled by Randomness. Yeah, I was going to say Fooled by Randomness and this have a lot of overlap. Yeah. Very similar themes, very similar problems they're dealing with. Yep, definitely. And oh, the other thing we should mention is this is not a new book. Yeah, it's old. When did it come out? It's from the 30s or 40s or something. Oh, was it that old? I was thinking 60s, but... Oh, maybe 60s. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's probably the 60s or something. Let me see. This is where we need our Jamie. I know I say that every time, but... 54. It was right in between our two guesses. <laughs> huh. It's only got a 3.9 on Goodreads. That seems low. Yeah, but it's one of those things where you probably can't trust the Goodreads reviews. Yeah, good point. How did they get that number? Exactly. Or no, probably some people were like, that book was too short. I was expecting something longer. Or yeah, there's all sorts of like stupid reasons people give reviews for different things. Yeah, true. If you ever actually look at even like restaurant reviews, some of the reasons are <laughs> hilarious. Like they'll be like, oh, this place had no parking. The food was great, but it's like you gave it a one star review. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I 
there's no context. That, that's my thing with with fancy restaurants is that sometimes a lower review is better because people will review it poorly because they wouldn't accommodate their special requests. And I, I respect that in a good restaurant yep. where they say like, no, and those kinds of things will get you bad reviews, but it actually means that it's a better restaurant. Yeah, it, but it, yeah, that's why like, I don't know, it's hard to trust online reviews in general. But yeah, um, I saw 93% of Google books reviewers like the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and those those metrics are better anyway, because binary metrics end up being more accurate, I think, like thumbs up, thumbs down. Mm. In the long run, those types of reviews apparently are a better system than like one through five ratings. You know, I would agree with that because there are books that like I, if I go think about how I rate books on Goodreads, because like, I I mean, I, I do use Goodreads and I think like I probably give almost every book a four or a five because I rate it right when I finish it. But then there's yeah. definitely books where you think about it, you know, three months later and you're like, that book was like half bullshit or like <laughs> I didn't actually learn anything new in that book, but it felt really good to read it. Right. And yeah, you just get biased by that. But you're not going to like go back and change your review. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I struggle with that a lot on because I, I list all of my notes and reviews on my site. Oh, yeah. You put a rating on there. Yeah. And I put a one through 10 rating on it. And it seems like I'm always trying to give a book like a seven or an eight. Mm. and i have to the i heard this rule somewhere i don't remember where i heard it but the rule was basically that when you're rating something one through ten you can't use seven because seven is sort of the the go-to like oh yeah it's fine right but when you say no you can't use seven if you want to use seven you have to go six or eight that is much harder because an eight is like a fairly strong endorsement and a six is like a fairly weak endorsement so i like that rule you know, that reminds me of like most of my Goodreads reviews are four four stars, which is, I think, the same thing. Yeah. Because it's like if I didn't like it or if I was like meh on it, right, I, I should say three. And if I really liked it, it could be five. If I hated it, one, right? So having those three different areas makes sense. But four is kind of like a um, kind of like you're 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 sort of punting on making a decision. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. It was OK. <laughs> But then on Amazon reviews, too, it's I'm usually more interested in a book if it's got like a four, right? Because if it's a popular-ish book that has a four, it's probably really good and just controversial. Mm. Yep. But if it's got, a, you know, 4.8, that's usually a bad sign. It's like, mm, it's probably going to be like stupid, feel good, pump up shit, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those books that everyone's going to feel good right after they've read. So they're going to rate it highly. Yeah. It's like what's what's that book? You are a badass by Jen Sincero. Oh, I've heard of that. I haven't I haven't read it, but I I started reading part of it. It's literally like the worst book I've ever opened in my life. It is remarkably <laughs> terrible. But it's got, you know, a four point six on Amazon and a four on Goodreads. Damn. So they're just wrong. It's <laughs> the gist of it. Or we're like the weirdos in society, which is also likely. <laughs> okay, you know what? We're 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 no longer in our our warm up we should actually get into the book yes (laughs) (laughs) we we recorded like a 25 minute off topic bonus material before this and i think we're still in the mode of just talking yes (laughs) so we we should actually hop in yep so the the cool thing about how this book is organized is that he breaks it out into six chapters that each go over a way that statistics are used or manipulated to make you think something or to to warp your interpretation of the information. And then in the final chapter, he goes through kind of how to talk back to a statistic. So what to say when you're presented with a statistic and how to think about it. Yeah. In a way, it's not unlike influence. 
right? It's not unlike Influence yeah. Pro, yeah, which we covered. Very similar layout. Yeah. He must have been inspired by this layout, or it's just a strange overlap because you're right. They are uncannily similar in how they're how they're laid out. Yeah. So um I guess diving right in, right? The first thing he starts with is is bias samples. So, you know, as it probably you you already understand, um, if you pick a sample that is you know, not representative, your results are not going to be representative. But it's very interesting. A lot of the, you know, like the examples that he gave and how he breaks it down, it's one of the most commonly used techniques. And I love, I know this is at the end of the chapter, but I love this example where the psychiatrist who says that practically everyone is neurotic. Um, yeah. It's because everyone the psychiatrist is seeing is neurotic because that's why they're going to a psychiatrist. So that's kind of like, you know, a very simple example, right, of, of a bias sample. But um, kind of gets the point across very effectively. Well, and the the place we see this so much right now, I feel like, is in the news, right? So I I saw this example the other day, which which is a particularly blatant version of it, right? And I think that on some level, everyone knows what's going on when they see this. But have you seen the videos of people who can't find stuff on a map? No. Where it's like Jimmy Fallon or someone is out on the street in New York City, and he's got a map on an art easel and he's asking people on the street like hey can you you know point out where is australia or something and then you've got all these people being like oh i don't know and they're like pointing to russia right or they're pointing to africa or they'll they'll put up the map and they'll say can you name like one country and then somebody will say uh well africa and they'll point out it's like that's a continent right and and so the the joke is like wow americans are so stupid they can't name any countries on the map but really they're just picking the people who you know who did happen to fail and they left out the footage of everyone who was like uh yeah like here's greenland right or there's also the element of if you ran if Jimmy Fallon came up to you on the street and said, you know, like, hey, can you point out a country on the map? Like, I would be a little taken aback by that. I'd be like, holy shit, I'm talking to Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're, it's it's kind of silly data because it's so horribly biased that it's not actually telling you anything. Right. Exactly. I, and I think I guess what they're trying to show in that video is, oh, look how dumb New Yorkers are. Look how dumb. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm guessing that's the point. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't actually show you anything. <laughs> or I, I like also like the example of well, and pretty much anything about I would say Trump voters in the more liberal media, where they'll they'll play a clip of some usually kind of like overweight, unattractive white person from Middle America wearing a MAGA hat, like saying something incredibly stupid. Yep. <laughs> and the the message there is like, oh, this is what a Republican looks like. Like right. this is a Trump supporter, right? And like, no, you just picked the worst example that you could find for yep. <laughs> uh sampling this data. One of my other examples I like to point to is is like for Middle Eastern people. Like if you actually meet somebody from like most Middle Eastern countries. I've never met anybody actually from Saudi Arabia, so that's the that's the exception. But if you look at what Middle Eastern people are represented on CNN or something, right? It's like always at some protest where they're burning an American flag, <laughs> yeah, or like throwing rocks at like an Israeli soldier, or just some just something like that, right? So if that was your entire exposure of what Middle Eastern people are like, you probably think that's like what they are, right? But then if you meet some of that, or you know, any, pretty much any of them, minus this very small minority of people. That's not at all what they're like, yeah. but it's just a biased sample. It's exactly the same tactic. And you're right. The media is probably the most blatant users of of this tactic. Well, there's also more like 
subtle ways that you'll see this. And let me just make sure I'm not diving into one of the other things. No, I, I think this this counts. So I don't know if you saw this. It was sometime earlier this year that somebody released this chart that said you're or it was basically like more people were killed in schools in America than were killed as military people overseas. Right. Hmm. So there were there were more there were more, you know, deaths from school shootings than there were deaths in deployed military personnel so far this year, which is like a really bad thing, obviously. But then they went on to say that you're more likely to die going to school in the U.S. than you are likely to die, like serving in the military. And that's where it's like, whoa, OK, like, <laughs> those are two very different uh, statistics. Right. But you kind of like actually, you know, what? this is related to one of the later ones. Right. But you by presenting it one way, you kind of like provoke the other interpretation. Right. You're using it to tell a story. And I think that's one thing that he cautions throughout the entire book. Yeah. Is that's why you, you just have to be cautious because everyone's using these statistics with an agenda. They're not, it's not necessarily like when we, when we hear statistic, we assume it's like, it's real, right? It's a, there's not a, not a bias behind that. But then as you, you know, you dive deeper and especially everything he calls out in this book, there's a way to frame the statistics in a way that serves your agenda, whichever agenda you're trying to serve, right? There's, there's a way to do it. Yeah. Um, well, think about like for even bias samples, right? Um, I think this would fall under bias samples where you, or maybe it's one of the later ones. I was going to say where you cherry pick like the years, or, or that's something later, right? That's frame. That's what's that one? Called? That's kind of like discarded data. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that one. Um, oh, one that was another really good example with bias samples, though, is like the uh, television polls, right? Or, or the polls for president or any of like any politics. Yo, that, that's exactly what I was going to bring up next. Go for it. Well, yeah, it's, it's the idea that um, I don't know about you. I was never polled for 2016. And neither was anybody I know. Yeah. I don't know anybody who has ever responded to a Gallup poll, right? Like, exactly. Who are they polling? Right? Probably the type of people who sit around at home in their underwear all day and pick up the phone from unknown numbers, right? That's exactly what my dad was saying. He said that even if they called our house, we never pick up our house phone. Really. Yeah. So especially if it's not a number we recognize, like, there's no way it's probably a sales call, right? So we're not picking it up. <laughs> So that's what he was wondering too. We were had we got a con- into a conversation about it uh, off this book, and we were we were like, "Who are the people who are actually responding to these polls?" Yeah, yeah. I I mean, reasons like that are the reason why the media can be so surprised by you know something like 2016. Oh, definitely. I think, in my opinion, at least. Well, and also when you hear a statistic like what is it, 45 percent of Americans don't believe in evolution, right? Mm. I, I'm sure that it is a disturbing percentage, but. It's really that 45% of people who respond to polls are, you know, don't believe in evolution. And when you think about who is responding to this stuff, there are probably, it's probably a lot, it probably slants a lot older and a lot lower income. Right. So it's not a representative sample. Yeah. It's not a representative sample at all. So, yeah. I mean, I was thinking, especially if a lot of these polls are done via phone, like, I don't pick up unknown numbers. I don't even pick up like a lot of the numbers I do know. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. If it's a known number and I'm working on something, right, I'll just ignore it and text them and be like, what's up, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, got, I got stuff to do. Whereas I guess if they did an online poll, that would be also not a representative sample because it would probably skew younger. Yeah. It would skew people who are using the internet. You know, it's just a, it's hard to get a representative sample. And I think that's the other point he was trying to make is it's really hard to authentically get a representative sample even if you're trying to yeah pretty much all samples will be biased 
in some way or another. And I guess the key is knowing your like what is the bias in your sample. Yeah. So then you can kind of correct your interpretation for that or at least call it out. Well, and sometimes it's, it's ridiculous, too, where you'll see Fox and Friends run a Twitter poll and then say, like, see, 75% of Americans think Hillary Clinton should go to jail. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> 75% of people who follow Fox and Friends on Twitter. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they always say Americans. Yeah, I always say Americans. <laughs> 75% of Americans. It's on Twitter. How do you even know they're Americans? <laughs> yeah. You, you don't get data on who responded to your poll. <laughs> yeah. Probably like at least half Russian trolls. Right. <laughs> well, I, there, there was the one thing where it was like Fox and Friends tweeted something during the 2016 election that said, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders wants to spend $36 trillion giving all Americans free health care. Do you think we should spend $36 trillion on that? But it ended up being like 75% said yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> That's a case of, I guess, not knowing your audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> their audience is probably like skews older and was probably like, you know what? That sounds like a great thing to spend money on. <laughs> well, it probably also skews, and this is going to sound really bad as soon as it comes out of my mouth, but opioid epidemic, right? Right. Like I'm, I'm stereotyping hard here, but I can imagine that a lot of the people who want a better healthcare system are the ones who have been like seriously fucked by it. Yeah, or people they know have been. Yeah, or people they know. And a lot of people who have been seriously fucked by it are probably the ones who then, you know, have to spend a lot of time watching like TV because they can't do much else. Yeah. So that's a that's a very good point. <laughs> what was there was an example, another example I had that I lost. It'll come back to me. Um, did you have any others for that section? No, I, I think the, the hard thing is actually that so many of them feed into each other. Right. So coming up with an example that doesn't steal steam from one of the later ones. But uh, no, we can definitely go on to the next one. We'll, we'll keep hitting them as we go. So biased averages. And this is great because a lot of people miss that when somebody says the average, there's actually three different things that can mean. And usually it means the mean, which is adding up all of the values and dividing by the quantity of values. But average can also be the mode, which is the most common value, and it can also be the median. So the value in the middle of the sample. Yeah, the biggest thing I took away from this, right, is that the this well, this the fact that there are three different kinds of quote averages uh, is that the term average doesn't actually mean a whole lot unless you know which type of average. Yeah, you have to know which one they mean, especially because depending on the type of distribution, giving one or the other can make a huge difference, right? It's like the the mean income in the US is I think 49 grand, which you know doesn't sound too bad, but the median, right, the middle value is like 25 or 26, which is not great. Right. So, if you were just looking at the mean, you'd be like, "Oh, cool, everyone's like making great money, has a fairly cushy lifestyle. That's not so bad." But, you know, when you look at the median, it's like, whoa, okay, that's, you know, half of the people in the country are making below 27K a year, right? That's not great. And I think the biggest thing to call out, right, is that the mean is affected greatly by fat tails. Yes. Right. And so by fat tails, it's extremes on either end. So a mean would be greatly affected. Like if you were, let's say income's a really easy one. Um, so a mean would be affected by a single person making a billion dollars right a year would right. make a huge difference to the mean but it wouldn't really make a difference to the median yeah it's like that that joke what happens what happens when bill gates walks into a bar oh what is that joke everyone's average income goes up by a billion dollars yeah <laughs> right 
Yeah, the one I mean the one that uh the one that Taleb always uses, right, is never cross a river that's on average four feet deep. Yeah, exactly. That's a good one too. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh yeah, because it, it basically means that um that's just when you exactly when you add up all the values and divide by the quantity of values, that's the number you get. But that could be greatly skewed. Like I think for incomes, uh income is a good one because obviously it's possible to make a billion dollars. It's like one of the few cases where it's not really possible for like a person to be a billion feet tall. Right. So for average height, you know, talking about the mean is probably pretty useful, right? Like I would say that yeah. in a in a non yeah, yeah yeah well that's that's the thing is in normal distributions the mean is fine right because right. everything's going to be within a reasonable bound but yeah like grades grades are another one it's a zero to a hundred scale yeah in more in more power law situations then you probably have to go with the median because that gives you a better sense of where other people are falling right and that was uh, I think in the war on normal people, right? When he was giving, you know, his average American, that was the medians that he was using, right? Yeah, he was using median. Yeah, because that was like the lower, that was the median income and the median education level. Right. Well, and, and I guess for education, you can probably use mean. Yeah. Because it's not like somebody's going to have a billion degrees, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they might yeah. have four or five, right? They, they yeah. could have like an MD, PhD, but... That's basically the peak. It's hard to go too much higher than that, assuming we're discounting honorary degrees. Right. But yeah, so when you hear average, right, you you have to perk your ears up a little bit and say, you know, well, what exactly is or how are they calculating the average? Because it can mean very different things, right? Or uh, another good example is like startups, right? Saying they're Mm. like average, average daily active users or average daily revenue right or something like that or average revenue per user yep depending on how you're calculating that it can be very deceptive right because maybe you've got one percent of people doing all the activity and then that makes the median super high but the or that makes the mean super high but the median could be fairly low right right well and and i was going to say that the um the for startups that's why i like especially i would say the first 12 months of their business i always actually ask the year-to-date revenue or like the revenue you've had up to now as opposed to your monthly revenue, because it's very choppy Smart. right at that stage. Yeah. Because it could be like, you might have a great month, you might get 40K, 50K in that given month, then the next month you might get 10. That doesn't mean you lost 80% of your revenue. <laughs> you just might've yeah. had like, you know, you just might've had like one big sale in that one month that got you to that larger number. So sort of taking it, like averaging it out over, and I, I know I just used the word average, which <laughs> I just said is a faulty thing to use, but getting, taking like the mean, right, I think makes a lot more sense than saying like, you know, what's like, what was your monthly revenue last month? Yeah. I think that's a little, uh, well, maybe if they've been around long enough, right? And I guess that's different for every type of business, but if you've been around for like 18 months, yeah, probably, you know, your last month is pretty indicative um, unless you just had some type of weird event happen. Right. But yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> But there are definitely instances where the mean makes a lot of sense to take. And I think it's it might be situational for which thing that you need to need to look at. Yeah. Well, and that's why this is useful, because if you've got the sensitivity to listen for it, right, or to know to ask, yeah, then I think you can get through where people might be trying to fool you with uh, using the more deceptive version. The example he gave in this chapter was hilarious too. <laughs> the one about uh, if somebody sold like sells you on a house because of how high the income is in that neighborhood. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then like one year later they come around saying like protesting against a uh, I guess a housing association uh, cost increase 
because they say, oh, the median, in- the, the average income is, and it was like a number way lower than what they had told you when they sold you the house. Um, he was just basically calling out that it's two different averages and whoever the person was, was using it to their advantage. Yeah. What do you think the situation to use mode would be? You know, I was wondering that. I don't actually know a good reason to use it. Right? Like when, when would that be useful data exactly? Right. That's right. I haven't found one that would be, but I'm sure there, I'm sure there are. Yeah. There, there must be a use case for it if it gets discussed at all. But I, I just have no idea what it what it is or what it would be. I wonder if it's in situations where things are like in very discrete, like I'm thinking like almost like a multiple choice type of thing. Like you're either A, B, C or D. Oh, that would make sense. You're either one, two, three or four. Yeah. And then if you have an average of like 2.5, that's not helpful. But mm-hmm. if you know that everyone clustered around two, that is kind of useful. Right. Like it's like how many times a day do you brush your teeth mm-hmm. or something? Right. And if it was like. 2.2 times, right? It's like, well, that doesn't help me. Yeah. So the mode is two. Yeah. And because, and maybe that 2.2 gets biased by, you know, someone who just brushes their teeth 20 times a day. <laughs> right. Right. But 19 out of 20 people, it's two times a day. Right. So it's maybe the, that's the use case. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Let's see. Makes sense for nominal data, not consisting of numerical values. Oh, okay. Interesting. Right. So kind of like you said, for example, taking us <laughs> this is a this is a semi-racially charged example from wikipedia but <laughs> okay. for example taking a sample of korean family names one might find that kim occurs more often than any other name <laughs> then kim would be the mode of the sample in any voting system where a plurality determines victory a single modal value determines the victor where a while a multimodal outcome would require some tie-breaking procedure to take place okay interesting yeah yeah that makes sense Makes sense. I can see how that'd be useful. Learning something. Learning something while doing the podcast. This is good. Exactly. That's <laughs> the best. Until we can afford a Jamie, we just have to do it ourselves. I know. It's so hard. Wikipedia is so difficult. I know. Yeah. Good thing we have these magical information devices. I know. <laughs> oh, was it? Um, uh, this is definitely a tangent, but I saw a tweet. Um, I don't know if you retweeted it or somebody else I know was saying like huge plot hole in reality. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> so this tweet was, uh, and we'll, we'll try to link to it on the show notes page, but um, the tweet was, huge plot hole in reality. We all walk around with magical information devices in our pocket, but most people are wrong all the time. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I tweeted something related to that recently where, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was at that resort in Arizona, which is like super health conscious focused and They've got lots of like yoga and massages and they sell healing crystals in the spa and stuff like that. And then they have all of these seminars on like living a healthy life. And one of the seminars was on transitioning to a plant-based diet. And then somebody had gone to it and then had come to a dinner right afterwards. And she was going on about how like, oh, it's good to switch to a plant-based diet because there's no nutritional value in meat. And I was like, whoa, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's it's like it would take you a few seconds to Google that on the way over here, right? If because and it seems like it was surprising to her where she was like, wow, like I didn't know this. All right. That's shocking. And to be fair, I I think we all do that too. Of course. Like in different domains. Yeah. I'm not saying that any of us are immune to it. That was just the most salient example where I was like, I was like, it's, <laughs> but it's a kind of a common myth, right? Despite being one that's fairly easy to disprove with like 10 seconds of Googling, 
right right and that that is actually a weird plot hole in reality is that we all have that stuff that we just sort of adopt wholesale from people without googling it right and to be fair i mean google gets stuff wrong too right oh for sure well you know better than anyone yeah google doesn't get stuff wrong but the top result on google is not always accurate that's probably the better way to put it yeah and i guess you know better than anyone like google doesn't fact check every search result oh yeah (laughs) yeah so well and even for even for stupid stuff like (laughs) this this is a very sphinxy episode Ooh, that's in the bonus material. People need to be Patreon subscribers to hear that. Yeah, yeah. If you want to hear us uh, talking about the mysteries of the Sphinx and conspiracy theories, you should check out the bonus material on the Patreon. (laughs) Um, But this is a good example because there's something in the Wikipedia page that's basically like it's not taken seriously by by archaeologists and is considered like bunk science or something. There's something really dismissive of it on Wikipedia. And it was funny because when I read it, I was like, I was like, Psh, that's bullshit. It's not fake. And then I, you know, caught myself <laughs> obviously <laughs> being like, oh, that's that's a very, uh, very crony belief. But that is hard sometimes, right? Where American Medical Association is a good example where they basically say that like, oh, red meat causes cancer and heart disease. And you should stay away from it. But if you can look through PubMed and look at all the longitudinal studies, like that's a very hard position to defend. Right. And most people aren't going to do that research, though. They're just going to go with the AMA. And that's where some of this stuff gets tricky. Well, and it's hard to do that for everything, right? It's like at some point, yeah, like you do have a time limitation, too. <laughs> so you're just like, I have to believe this. Um, you know, and I think there's certain things we care more about or we're more likely to look up than other things. And also, there's certain things we want to be true. Yeah. Like the Sphinx thing would be super cool if it's true. So part of me like hesitates to look up all the things probably debunking. It. Yeah, that that and aquatic apes. I'm just like, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> but no, that that's definitely true. Exactly. I like don't want to know that it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think there is also an element of, or at least this is what I do, which is I just try to find sources where I can trust them. Right. Mm. Like, uh, so. There, there's a guy, Ben Greenfield, who does a lot of fitness stuff. And I feel like I can trust, you know, 80, 90 percent of what he says. Right? Or Peter T is an even better example. Right. Yeah. Or Rhonda Patrick. Right. Where if they say something, I'm like, all right, like, I just trust you. Right. You clearly do an insane amount of research on this. You're super knowledgeable. Like everything that I look up to fact check you has been right in the past. So I'm just going to like trust you. But, you know, when Joe Rogan has a random guest on who's talking about like, I don't know, the, the most recent guy who's saying like, oh, Obama's a war criminal, started like five wars, should be put in jail. Yeah, I, I'm not going to just buy that. <laughs> right. right. You're not going to like just wholesale adopt the opinion without checking. Yeah, exactly. You, you've got to kind of have standards for who you you know trust and who you don't. Right. Well, and I think I think there's this tendency to like project authority uh, where if somebody has a certain amount of authority, we just kind of assume they know stuff about everything and like the classic example of this is parents Mm, yeah right where it's like your your parents are super knowledgeable in certain areas but they're also humans and they're not knowledgeable about everything right and that's probably why you like start to fight when you're a teenager (laughs) because you start to realize some of that that's a great example i would say doctors is kind of another one yeah doctors is a perfect one yeah where it's like oh my doctor told me red meat is bad for me so therefore i don't eat red meat and neither should you but you know your doctor is probably medical school like 30 years ago (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and is not up to date you know necessarily on the newest things 
Yeah. Or professors. Right. Right. Or even just like even smaller things like uh, who was it? Robin Hansen, the guy who wrote Elephant in the Brain, which great episode. Everyone should check out. He was on Sam Harris's podcast and they, they did a Q&A at the end and someone asked about immigration. And I loved Robin's answer to it because he he went up and he said, you know, like first, you know, he said, I'm, I'm going to give you an answer. But first, I don't like how as a society we've gotten to the point of thinking that everyone should have an opinion about everything. Right. It's like I'm not an immigration expert. Sam is not an immigration expert. It's not what either of us work on. Like we're completely unqualified to be talking about this. We will if you let us. But, you know, we're not really people you should be listening to on the subject. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a good point. It's like, what can you actually it's easy to believe somebody in one area and then immediately start trusting them in other ones as well. Yeah, I think it's the danger of having like intellectual um, intellectual heroes, kind of. Yeah, that too. Yeah, because it's like people, I mean, you know, I've definitely seen this with, um, obviously we're big fans of Taleb, but he's not right about everything. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely times you see him on Twitter and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, calm down. Yeah, not right about everything and not necessarily like an uh, an ideal model to follow. <laughs> right, exactly. Like you can, you can admire a, part of someone's work, but not necessarily look to them for guidance on everything. Like I, I've seen that. I mean, recently there's definitely this like cult around Jordan Peterson and, you know, both of us like him, but I wouldn't say again, like there's no way, you know, all of his opinions are opinions that we agree with. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. Like you don't have to have the same, you shouldn't have the same opinions well, as him. Just weird. Or, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't. Mean oh, to no, I was going to say it's, it is. I mean, it, I think we were going to say the same thing. It's like weird that we think that you should have the same opinions just because you like somebody. Well, I was going to go the other direction with it too, which is that it's lazy to criticize someone for liking someone who has a bad viewpoint, right? Mm. So uh, what's a good example of this? Like you you could really like Jordan Peterson for his like self-improvement and Christianity stuff, but disagree with the gender pronoun stuff, right? Yeah. And so somebody could say like oh i really like jordan peterson i really enjoyed his book and then somebody else might say like wow you hate women and you think we should have enforced monogamy it's like that's a crazy like jump but we do that all the time right right where if there's if there's a single idea we dislike that we associate with one person we'll end up projecting that one bad idea onto anyone who likes that person yeah, I mean, I, I hate to bring the episode back to, to Trump, but that's something that we do with Trump all the time. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no way you could say 100% of his ideas are wrong. Like, he does say things that, you know, do make sense sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, if, some, if you hear somebody say that in the public sphere, it, the immediate response is like, oh, that person must be racist because they like Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what they said. <laughs> they They support, like you know, treating women like shit or something like that. Right. right. They'll, they'll take <laughs> yeah. the worst possible thing they can attach to him and they'll assume that, oh, if somebody likes him, they must like everything about him. Or not even if they like him, they agree with one of his viewpoints. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like if you say like, uh, I forget who I was getting a conversation with, but um, I think it was just like an offline conversation. It was with uh, a friend and we were talking about the the tariffs, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, I think like I'm in general almost pure capitalist and I like free markets, but on the other hand, I can also be vindictive and I don't like when, you know, countries play by different rules with each other. 
So like China has very different tariff rules than we have for China. And I said something like, oh, yeah, I could see like why we would want to put tariffs on them because it sort of sends a signal. It's like a signaling thing to the re- you know other countries, too. Yeah. To have like, you know, similar trade agreements that we have with them, even if it hurts us in the short term. I wasn't saying like, yeah, this is like what I think we should do. But I said, you know, I can see I can see the logic of it. And the person, you know, was not is, is a very anti-Trump person. It got, you mm-hmm. know, a little offended. They were like, oh, I can't like, so you think that he's doing a good job as president? I was like, whoa, how do we get there? Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing yeah, I was <laughs> like, no, up. I said, I can see the logic of it. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, especially with Trump, I've noticed it really pushes people's buttons. Yeah. It's a really tough thing to get into a rational conversation about. If you say you approve of anything that he has done, then you're immediately like a Nazi racist, white supremacist, right? Yeah. Heaven heaven forbid you're a white person who say you like something that he did. Yeah, exactly. You're you're screwed at that point. You might as well join the uh the alt right at that point. I can't even wear red anymore. It really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I saw something in the paper this morning that I, I don't know how much this is actually happening, but he's trying to get uh, opioid manufacturers indicted, right? So like trying to go after them. And my immediate reaction was like, oh, that's like a great idea. That's a really yeah. good thing to do. And it was just kind of funny because it felt like a... Felt dirty. Not, not didn't feel dirty. <laughs> I just felt like if I went out and said in public, like, oh, Trump did something awesome today, right? I would get in at least one fight. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you tweeted that, like, if that was the thing you tweeted when he woke up, it would be a very inter- entertaining Twitter day for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a... Yeah, Trump, for some reason, just, like, pushes people's buttons. Like, I, I know. I mean, I can see why, but, yeah, people just get... People get so riled up over it. I think it's it's the new religion, man. Politics is the new religion. Yeah. You've got your team, and your team is right. The facts don't matter, right? If Trump says that he flew up to heaven on a winged horse and talked to God, that's what happened, right? Like yes. it's it's in the book. So you you don't challenge or you know, you just go with what your your party says and you hate the other parties and um stone the adulterers and like those are the rules now. It's not really about I feel like facts or reasonable discourse anymore. It's just about winning, right? Right. Or uh what's the term? I- idea sports. Idea what? idea sports idea sports yeah <laughs> yeah it's just the competition well the funniest thing is when is when parties flip ideas right when it's like like the the national debt is the best one best example that i can think of but it's like when republicans are in power it's like not really about the debt anymore but when democrats are in power republicans won't stop talking about debt and it's flipped the other way like right now democrats are talking about debt all the time yeah and <laughs> when it's their president in power or when they're in power i guess in congress or or presidency they just don't really care about that anymore. And so it's, it's all about like, it's just talking points, right? And you just use it to further your team's effort. That's a weird one because there's not that much motivation to do anything about the debt when you're in power. Right. Because the only ways you affect the debt are if you decrease spending or increase taxes. And neither of those are going to be super popular things to do. So exactly. I mean, the, the only way you could do it is if you dramatically cut back government spending on, you know, non-citizen related stuff, right? What would that be? Well, like, you know, what did we spend a trillion and some dollars on getting that stupid jet from? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who was it? Lockheed Martin? Lockheed Martin, yep. Yeah, the one that just like leaks fuel and can't outmaneuver the old like 1960s jets. And yeah. Absolute, absolute piece of trash. And yeah, we spent a trillion dollars on it, right? Like, 
that would literally be like UBI for well, okay, a couple of months, but <laughs> it would be something, right? Yeah, but it's still just a colossal waste of money because at least you would oh, get yeah. something out of that. Yeah, seriously. No, that's the best example. Also, like if you, I think you might have shared this article, or I, I came across an article that I, I read. There's like a long article about the history of that. Did you ever read that? Yeah. Oh, that I don't remember which of us shared it with the other. Maybe a deal sent it to us. Maybe that's a yeah. crazy article. It's a crazy history. Yep. Where I mean, basically, it was pitched as a single uh jet for i think three different branches of the military right it was like yep it was meant to replace the navy army and air force jets i want to say or was it marine and air force yeah marine and maybe air marines force. army and or no marine navy and air force right marine navy and air force something like that but it was three of them and then yeah <laughs> and then as the r&d went further along they were like oh yeah actually now it's gonna be three different versions not one because the idea behind having one is like oh you just have one set of replacement parts and Right. Only one set of maintenance codes to understand. Uh, and that was the pitch that they won on. And then that's the whole name, Joint Strike Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. And then some, at some point they were like, nope, we're, we can't do the one anymore. We're going to have three. Well, and everyone kept like demanding more stuff from it, too. Yep. So it had to like be VTOL and supersonic and have super tight maneuvering, just like stuff that doesn't combine well <laughs> and hover. And like, yeah, wait, what's the one, one of the branches has one that hovers, but once it gets off the deck, I think it's the Navy one. Once it gets off the deck of the ship, it needs to be refueled in midair at that point. That's this, that's, that's this jet. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's insane. Yeah. It's the Navy one. <laughs> you have to refuel it in air. It can do, it can do vertical takeoff, but then it needs to be refueled. <laughs> this is like what? a separate fuel tank or something ridiculous. Jeez. It's something like the, it's a separate fuel tank. And because the plane has to expand and contract in order to support like supersonic flight, it, the, the fuel just leaks straight out of it when it's sitting on the ground or something. Oh, and then there's like the, the heat resistant uh, paint, right? Or like the thermal resistant paint that they have yeah what was the issue with that so it's like okay so the paint is like super super expensive number one right and then it's also very temperature sensitive so it basically has to be repainted after every flight oh yeah and then the buildings that house the planes have to also be painted with that and the trucks that move it have to also be painted with that <laughs> uh, yeah good times oh uh, we have to link to this article i know it's a crazy history yeah, we'll definitely put it in the show notes. Yeah. If 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 you told me that you were going to cut government spending to stupid shit like that, I would be very okay with it. I think most people would be. If they knew the whole story of that, I feel like they would be. Oh, yeah. It's one of those where we could say 75% of Americans agree. I mean, there, there's so much dumb military stuff. It's like whenever one branch gets put on an operation, all the other branches need to get on it too because they get FOMO. Right, exactly. And they get like pissed off that they weren't picked for it. And so we end up sending all these extra teams places just so that like nobody in the other branches gets their panties in a bunch it's so stupid yeah then there's all these weird subsidies too like the yeah. ethanol subsidy is absurd oh yeah it's an insane subsidy like i really don't understand why we still use that in our gasoline it's not a good investment it takes more energy to create it than it saves yeah but the, i heard that um no candidate wants to propose uh getting rid of that because it's iowa is you know Iowa is like a huge oh, corn state, and then yeah. Iowa was the first primary. <laughs> Iowa was the primary. Damn. <sighs> yep. See, this is why we just need a we need a benevolent dictator. We need a philosopher king. Exactly. <laughs> can just come in, fix things, abdicate power. It'd be great. 
you would need somebody who like just doesn't want to win the next term. Yeah, someone who's just like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, dude, Bernie would be great. He won't survive for a second term. Like, yeah, he'll just be like, fuck it, guys. We're legalizing pot. We're getting rid of ethanol. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Shutting down Guantanamo. <laughs> I think that was some people's hope with Trump, right? Was that like, oh, he just does not give a shit, right? So he's going to like do all the stuff. But then I don't know. I think he really wants to win a second term. <laughs> yeah. Or something like, I don't know. He's not. Not nearly as radical as people were expecting. Yeah, I don't know. I, now I've got this idea in my head of Bernie at like turning 90 with a joint in his mouth, middle fingers up, being like, fuck it, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> that would actually be pretty cool. We should get him on this podcast. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'll be like, well, your com- your competition came on the podcast. so Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what if the first debate of the 2020 election was held on made you think between andrew yang and bernie sanders that would be fun i would i would pay a lot for that debate that would be awesome i wouldn't even want to moderate i just want to listen i like andrew a lot yeah well he, i feel like he would be good in a debate I've, i haven't heard him in a debate but he seems to know his shit so yeah well and he's a very he's a very straight talker which is great which is rare in politics yeah but i feel like it's going to be necessary now yeah all right we got to get back to the book <laughs> discarded data is the next one. Oh, I love this one. Yeah, this is basically and it actually relates to what we started that long line of tangents <laughs> with, which was the opioid thing, right? Yep. Uh, companies will continue to run experiments until they get the results they want. So they'll discard experiments that fail to produce significant findings. And this is a huge problem because, you know, I think most people know that something's considered statistically significant if there's a less than 5% chance that it could have happened randomly, right? So for a research study to hold up and be published, it usually has to show that the results could not have happened by chance, right? A p-value of less than 0.05. But if you run a thousand experiments and 999 of them fail to show significant results, but one of them does, then you haven't actually shown a significant result. You've actually exceeded the p-value, right? Because what the, all the p-value is saying is that this would only happen by chance five in a hundred times. So right, exactly. if you run it a hundred times, you're going to get significant results a few times. <laughs> and that's how you end up, you know, with stuff like, uh, what is it? I mean, Zoloft, some of those antidepressants, in most of the studies, they showed basically negligible impact compared to a placebo, but then also a lot of negative side effects. Right. But the only ones that got published and publicized were the few studies that showed net positive benefits. And I think, you know, now we're realizing it that antidepressants broadly prescribed are a net harm. But because that data was sort of suppressed, right, it was discarded. People didn't know that. And I think it's the same thing with ADHD meds, too. Yeah, well, I was going to say this is harder to do in, I mean, it happens in medicine for sure, but it's harder to do in medicine than in things like cosmetics and food Oh, yeah. because there's not even any regulation on that, right? So I know I know for a fact cosmetics companies do this all the time, uh, which I have definitely said in a previous episode, but in case people hadn't heard that one, very, very common thing is you start with a very skewed sample. So you'll start, if, let's say you're using like a skincare product and you're testing, you know, reduction of pimples or something right? You start with like the most pimply people. <laughs> and then there's yeah. obviously going to be regression to the, you know, to the normal with or without your medication. <laughs> and you, so you start with that, you have them apply the medication. If the results are not what you want, you can always redo it. Like there's no, nowhere that says you have to like actually use the results of that study. So you can always just start another study and be like, okay, hopefully this time the pimply people will get better using our our product right just keep yeah. doing it and to your point if you run 100 samples 
or a hundred of those studies, like even if it's happening randomly, you will at least get five or, you know, you're, you'll likely at least get one, right. That's um, showing statistical significance, even if it's not actually a um, efficacious product. Yeah. Well, this is the big problem with big data too. Mm, Yeah. And part of why I'm just generally skeptical about most people who have like a hard on for big data stuff. (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. Hard on for big data stuff. (laughs) Just big throbbing (laughs) data. (laughs) If you, you know, if you have a big enough data set and you just start running uh, associations between different variables in it, like you're going to come back with something. Yeah, there's no way you're not going to find some random stuff. And, you know, I I feel like sometimes it'll get, you know, tossed out into the wilderness without people thinking seriously about whether or not they just randomly found that. I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Oh, there's like Nicolas Cage movies and school shootings or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, those are the really funny ones where it's like uh, ice cream and murders is another one. Right. So. As as ice cream consumption goes up, so does the murder rate. It's just because you know more people get killed in the summer, basically. <laughs> yeah. Or there was what was the flying Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? Oh yeah, um, climate change is reducing piratism. So as the globe has warmed from climate change, global piracy has decreased. Right. <laughs> so it's like climate change is a good thing actually because it's killing all the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's not school shootings by the way for nicholas cage movies it's oh what was it number of people who drowned by falling into a swimming pool uh well that one makes sense i mean you ever watched a nicholas cage movie that correlates with nicholas cage <laughs> movies <laughs> uh well the the other thing that's important here is that really small samples will have much larger variants so mm, yep if you flip a coin 10 times you might actually get eight heads it wouldn't be that insane but you're much less likely to get 80 heads in 10 in 100 coin flips, right? So because the variance is smaller with smaller data sets, you're more likely to get a significant result just by chance because the variance is so much higher, which is why when you see these studies done on, you know, 25 people, you kind of have to go, well, like that's not really telling us anything. I know this is a big issue with drug tests too, which is that most pharmaceutical tests are not done on women. So they won't take women for uh, drug tests on humans because they're just afraid of damaging unborn children. Hmm. And so drugs can get onto the market never having been tested on women before. That sounds pretty messed up. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's like not a good situation to be in. Well, that means the FDA is making an assumption that men's and women's biology is effectively the same, which we know is not true. Right. Well, and for a lot of drugs, you can probably get away with it. But then I'm sure there are others that could have a terrible effect for, you know, maybe they like interact worse or poorly with estrogen or something. Right. Right. Exactly. Or you're you're probably you're probably almost never testing interactions with birth control or things like that. And that's pretty bad, too. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say that's the other thing that like the FDA does not do you know, a good job of looking at is drug interactions, like the second order effects. Oh, yeah. Because like they're not testing as far as I know, right? Maybe they're testing the common interactions, but they're not testing like, oh, if this person is on like, you know, these other four medications and then you add this fifth one, like what happens? That's that's like pretty important. I feel like that should be in the final stage of trials, like test against the top 20, 50, whatever meds, you know, 
Yeah. Give it to somebody with who's also on statins and Lipitor and birth control and aspirin. And- well, I was going to say there's probably clusters too, right? There's probably yeah. problems that cluster. So you're probably, you know, you're more likely to be taking those drugs concurrently. Right, right. And then honestly, they should probably test these things versus uh, like other things as well. Like I know they probably test with alcohol because a lot of people drink, right? But I was going to say they should yeah. probably also test like how it could interact with opioids and, uh, you know, and marijuana, although I don't think there's a ton of interaction with marijuana, but opioids and, you know, specifically because there's so many of those prescribed, um, prescribed and then taken illegally too. Yeah. Opioids would be a big one. And then there's another weird one, which is, uh, what is it? Oh yeah. Grapefruit juice. Do you know about this? Oh yeah. Well, okay. I don't know. I don't know enough to like knowledgeably talk about it, but I feel like I've seen stuff about grapefruit juice and interactions. Yeah, I think it's called the norangin, which is like an active component in grapefruit juice, can actually intensify the effects of certain pharmaceuticals. And Hmm. so there are cases, I'm fairly sure, of people like drinking a bunch of grapefruit juice and then taking a normal like level of or, you know, a high amount, but not what would have been a lethal amount of opioids and overdosing. Wow. Yeah. Let me let me just fact check myself right now, because I know it can increase the potency of drugs but i think it's also killed people yeah i'm just looking at wikipedia wow that's crazy yeah there are literally stories of people overdosing from drinking grapefruit juice even after taking a drug wow yeah it could be ingested hours after a pill and you could still run the risk of um yeah oxycodone potentiators is right here so is it because it like inhibits an enzyme or something or I'm not sure. So it's called a potentiator, but I'm not 100% sure what that means. Let's see. Potentiating opiates. Okay, yeah. So they obliterate something called CYP3A4 in the digestive tract, which means that if you ingest grapefruit juice before taking opiates orally, it could increase the effects of the drug dramatically because much more of it will enter their bloodstream. It increases the absorption of opiates into the bloodstream and thus their potency as well. It'll enter your system much faster and do so with more power. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. And other things that can do it are Seville oranges, limes, and pomelos. Huh. I wonder why they don't make that more publicly known. Well, it's on a lot of those drugs. I, I, uh, I've okay. seen it on pill bottles or heard it from doctors and stuff before too, but it's definitely not that widely known. Yeah, because I could see that being like a mistake that somebody just makes accidentally. Oh, easy. Well, especially if you've been taking, you know, low dose opiates for a while and like mixing it with a bit of alcohol, but then you get, you know, mimosas for brunch and then suddenly you're in the hospital. Right. Right. Like it's not a completely impossible situation. Yeah, definitely not. But yeah, discarded data, bad, (laughs) small samples, large variants, also bad. I think the next section is pretty similar. Yeah, it's pretty similar and it's it's hard to do in audio. Oh yeah, I mean, this is hilarious. But I, okay, I think we can definitely describe it. It's so it's, it's called graph manipulation, and in the book they show three different graphs that are the exact same from a data perspective. They're showing the exact same data, but they look completely different, and that's because the axes have been manipulated to to look like that. Yeah, like the starting, like the bottom part of the axis, uh, like y-axis versus the top. Um, so on one graph, it looks like you know a moderate increase from of an already high number to a slightly higher number. On the second graph, it looks like it went from, you know, low, low on the y-axis to fairly high on the y-axis, like probably a 33%, you know, increase. And then on the other one, it goes from like zero to like the sky. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, and I, there's probably not a better way to share this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you can understand in audio on the first graph, the y-axis is from 0 to 24. Right. And then in the second graph, they've chopped off everything below 18. So you're just seeing the 18 to 24 segment. And then in the third graph, they've taken the 20 to 22 segment and stretched it out to be as tall as the old 0 to 24 graph. So, you know, they've made it they basically made it 10 times more zoomed in on the y-axis while keeping the x-axis exactly the same. So you've got basically 11 times the slope it looks like because of how little data you're taking compared to the original. Right, exactly. So that can make it can make it look like quite a significant increase. And then, then they've got another one where they, they do the same thing. On one, you've got a graph with a y-axis of 0 to 30 million. And then in the other one, and on that one, it's showing a line that just kind of hovers around 20 and it says government payroll stayed stable, right? It's a nice, you know, flat line. Uh, But then they've got the same graph, but instead of zero to 30 million, it's 19.5 to 20.5 million. And the graph like shoots up to the right (laughs) and they say government payrolls up, right? So really depending on how you frame the graph, it can make a huge difference in your perception of the changes. And basically, you can use it to tell the story you want to tell. Oh, yeah. Or be manipulated to the story the author wants you to t- you to feel. But it's the exact same data. You know, the data is not different. Exact same data. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting section. The, the other thing you have to look out for is when sometimes you'll see a chart with a logarithmic y-axis. Oh, yeah. And that's super deceptive, too. And those are the ones where it goes, you know, 1, 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000. And that, you know, can make something look like a line when it should be a hyperbola or you know, make it look flat or flat-ish when it's actually going up fairly significantly. There's like a lot of weird stuff that you'll see people do sometimes, and that's even less helpful and more deceptive. You know, I'm surprised this, this kind of thing doesn't get called out more because it seems fairly common. And maybe it gets called out, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it does. Yeah, people still do it. Right. And, you know, it's something that I would call out, but... I'm just like shouting into the void on Twitter, right? There's going to be so many yeah. other people who don't see me or you or somebody else criticize it. They just see it and they go, oh, yeah, payrolls went up. We got to drain the swamp. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's a good point. The The next one is the one I was starting to get into earlier, the semi-attached figure. And that's where you you say one thing to imply another thing. So one example they give is that maybe you can't prove that your nostrum cures colds, but you can publish in large type a sworn laboratory report that half an ounce of this stuff killed 31,108 germs in a test tube in 11 seconds. So you make people believe that it will do something for them by giving them other data that seem relevant, right? Exactly. And it's like, they never say how that relates to the cold. Yeah, exactly. They didn't say it kills the cold virus. And it doesn't say which germs. <laughs> yeah. Also, they didn't say what half an ounce of the stuff would do to you. <laughs> yeah, I've actually got an article about this or related to this on my blog called uh, Explained by Marketing. Or could that be explained by marketing? Mm. And I just run through a whole bunch of these where it's basically like you can say one thing while suggesting another thing. Or it's kind of like a, a tricky way to get you to believe something or to kind of like sub in other data that feels relevant but isn't relevant right i really like this next example too about uh cigarettes yeah 
where it's like, oh, 27% of a large sample of eminent physicians smoke throaties. It's just like, oh, okay, doctors smoke this cigarette, so it must be a healthy cigarette, right? (laughs) But your question should be, you know, so what, right? Like, how many physicians smoke other cigarettes? Uh, You know, what did you just look at certain physicians in like a city where a lot of people smoke throaties, right? Who cares that that's the cigarette physicians are smoking? Like, it's still unhealthy, right? There's all of these issues with that data. Right. Well, I'm like, what if the other, what if all the other physicians smoke something else? And that's like 73%. Yeah, that too. Right. It's like, yeah, 27% doesn't tell you anything. No, not at all. Also, they say a large sample. Also, eminent physicians. Notice how they put the eminent in there. Yeah. How do you define that? How many of them are being paid by throaties to smoke their cigarettes? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's like, there's a lot of ways you can kind of mess with people's interpretations through these semi-attached figures. Oh, like the clear weather versus foggy weather? What's that one? Oh, uh, so if you go right below the cigarettes one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More accidents occur in clear weather because there is more clear weather than foggy weather. Right. So basically the point was like, you know, somebody could write a uh, clickbaity article, you know, now it would be a clickbaity article, but it would just be an attention grabbing article at that time um, that there's more accidents that occur in clear weather than foggy weather. Right. And you're, you'd be like, what? I'm going to click on that. And the author's point here is that there is just much more clear weather than foggy weather in the first place. So of course, more accidents are going to happen in clear weather. And that could all be true. And fog can still be much more dangerous to drive in, even if there's more accidents in clear weather. So it's like, just the fact there are more accidents in clear weather than foggy weather doesn't actually tell you anything. Right. There's not, you don't know, like, it's kind of like if I told you um, the stock, like stock A is $2 a share and stock B is $50 a share. You can't immediately conclude that stock B is more expensive than stock A. That's a really common one. A lot of people think that you can compare two stocks based on their price. And that's just not true at all. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of my favorite ones. That's one of the crazier things, right? Yeah. But that's similar. It's very similar, though, yeah, to this. It is very similar. Because it doesn't give you enough information. Yeah. Not enough information at all. But this is what I was getting at earlier with the school shootings versus deployed military, right? It's like, okay, yeah, more people died in school shootings than died amongst deployed military members. But you're still way more likely to die in the military because there's significantly fewer deployed military personnel than there are school students. Right. Right. Like probably orders of magnitude fewer. And so, but it's easy to think that, oh, schools are just as dangerous as, you know, being on the ground in wherever we're on the ground in now. And it's like, no, that's nowhere close to true. Right. But again, the semi-attached figure can easily make you feel that way. A great way to make a good headline. (laughs) A great way to make a good headline. Or uh, what are some of the other ones? These are the ones that I feel like I see a lot. There's, oh, this is the one I was trying to remember is uh, accidents in the home. Right. So you hear like, oh, 75 percent of all accidents happen in the home. Like, be careful around your house. It's like, no, that's just where you spend the most time. You're in the house most of the time. So that is where most of your accidents are going to happen. Well, and I saw a stat similar to that from uh, this was like years ago when I first started driving about how most accidents happen within 10 miles of your house. Yeah. It's like, duh. And I remember for years thinking that like, oh, it must be like, because I'm thinking that like, I'm almost home. So I'm going to like lose focus and get distracted. Then like, if you think about it for even a little bit, it's like, you probably drive more within 10 miles of your home than anywhere else. Right. (laughs) So, you know, it's just the same chances of getting into a car accident. It's just more likely because you're spending more time there. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really common one. Yeah. You see this one so much. Um, or what's another one where it's like 
when something says how many downloads it has or how many you know satisfied customers or things like that. And it's like, well, it doesn't actually mean that the product or the app or whatever is good, right? Because mm. you can get like a download farm in India to download your app 10,000 times for not that much money, right? So it's like, that's not super useful. Or I also like this kind of tangential thing here that he mentions, which is that you can represent the same data in many different ways uh, where he says you can, for instance, express exactly the same fact by calling it a 1% return on sales, a 15% return on investment, a $10 million profit, an increase in profits of 40% or a decrease of 60% from last year. Right? This all sound very different, but they could be the exact same change. Exactly. And those are the exact same numbers. They sound completely different. Yeah, ex- exact same number conveyed entirely differently. Yeah. And that's some of the games too that like companies will play a lot. Yeah. Just depends on like what message they're trying to get across. Yeah. Especially to investors or, you know, on a landing page or things like that. Right. You see it in marketing all the time. All right. Should we hop to the next one here? Yeah. This is, this is probably the one that everyone has heard before, but yeah, everyone have the most familiarity with this one. Yeah. Correlation versus causation. So um, let's see. What was the best example from this one? There was a smoking and low grades one. Right. So does smoking cause low grades? Do low grades cause smoking? Is it something else causing both of them? Right. We don't know. But it's easy to infer something without, you know, having without actually knowing. It's easy to infer the like, oh, don't smoke because your grades will go down. Right. It's easy to say that. Yeah. (laughs) But like that might not be the causation at all. Might be the exact opposite. This was the big problem with the red meat stuff, too. Yeah. Was that all of those studies were correlative, you know, longitudinal studies that didn't control for like any dietary or lifestyle factors. And so they were looking at people who were, you know, eating McDonald's basically and were super overweight and weren't exercising at all. And they said, look, these people ate meat and then they, you know, died younger and got heart disease. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, look at who you were studying. (laughs) So exactly. I mean, there's ways to. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of studies with this, but then of course, the more, every time I say study, I like also start questioning it in my own head. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I'm like trying to pull up a study that like negates it. But I saw this one thing about um beer bellies, right? So it was like, oh, is there anything special about the beer belly versus like just gaining weight, right? Or, or drinking other types of drinking. And the conclusion, at least from that study was that it was much more about all the things that go along with drinking beer. So like pub food, Right. And Mm. the fact you're probably likely like you think about if you're like a wine bar versus like a beer bar and the kinds of things you're likely to be snacking on like wine, you might be just eating like cheese, but beer, you might be eating like, I don't know, just something like much more heavy and fatty (laughs) with nachos, wings. Yeah, that's like the stuff that goes along with beer. So at least that study was saying is much more about like the things that go around it. But it would be very easy to say, oh, don't drink beer because you're going to get a beer belly. And, you know, that's not necessarily what the, you know, the causation, like that's not necessarily the direction of the causation. Yeah. Or there's at least another step involved. Exactly. Like, it's probably still not even that simple. Um, I'm sure there's like, you know, there's something with the carbs in beer versus like if you drink liquor, liquor would not have the same like tequila or something, right? It would be, wouldn't have the gluten or there's all these like second order things too, right? Of like what gluten would do to some people. There's a lot of estrogen in beer too, right? Yeah, the hoppier, hoppier styles. The hoppier styles, yeah. Although phytoestrogens are another, it's phytoestrogens that are in beer, but the yeah. phytoestrogens in general are a really interesting thing if you dive into it. 
because I know I, that was one thing where I realized I have a crony belief on, uh, or I would just like anything that had phytoestrogens, I'd be like, oh, that's, I need to avoid that. Mm-hmm. It's like what you'd expect, right? When you hear the word estrogen and you're a man, you'd probably be like, oh, I want to stay away from that. Yeah. But if you actually like read it, I'll send you a couple of the papers that I found that were kind of interesting on that. So phytoestrogen doesn't necessarily mean it mimics estrogen or it is estrogen. Okay. It can have an opposite effect as well, but there are different types of phyto, like phytoestrogen is a category, not a actual compound. Like it's, it's not one thing. So there's like different effects that different phytoestrogens have. So one thing that like is not a misconception is, um, soy. Right. So soy, the type of phytoestrogen that's in soy, which I forget exactly what that's called. Um, I'll, I'll try to find it. Uh, but that is, that acts like estrogen. So that one's not a bad uh, assumption to be making, but then there are yeah. others. And I never looked up like what the beer one was, but there are other types of phytoestrogens that either have no effect or even like negate estrogen in your body. Um, like they bind to it or something. Interesting. Yeah. So there's like all sorts of weird, like not weird, but just different types of phytoestrogens. Yeah. You have to send me those papers. I'm curious. Yeah. going to make a note to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about correlation versus causation. Correlation versus causation. <laughs> What was another one? There was the college one, which came up an elephant in the brain also. Yeah, right. It's like, well, yeah, one, pretty much everyone goes to college. So saying college makes you successful is pretty ridiculous. And there's no, this is the hard thing with correlation versus causation is that a lot of the time there's no like counter study that's ever run. Right. And so they just say like, well, we will. You know, we can look at all the successful people and, or, you know, people making more money and, hey, most of them went to college. And it's like, well, it could just as easily be that people whose parents made more money are more likely to go to college. And they're also more likely to make more money because they their parents had more money. And college is just like a, you know, a route along the way. We're not doing a lot of the, the, the other studies on um, or we're not seeing the alternative histories right, where they didn't go to college. Right. And that's the problem with a lot of these things is there is um, there's no way to like rewind the tape and say, like, how would it have gone if, you know, so and so had not gone to college or all these people who went to college didn't go to college. And let's see what the difference would have been. Yeah. Well, luckily, we're starting to run more of those tests now, and it, it feels like it's coming back fairly bad for college. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not surprising, I feel like, for people who've gone to college. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's also worth clarifying, too, that I don't think college is inherently bad in and of itself but it is bad as a two hundred thousand dollar investment yeah even even as a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar investment right it's definitely not worth that that's true it's probably much more about the the size of the investment right if it, if it costs nothing if it costs nothing then it would probably be worth doing right right but you know did i get two hundred thousand dollars worth of value from carnegie mellon like no probably not even ten percent of that right especially when you consider the amount of time you spend on it too well, exactly. The opportunity cost when you start factoring that in. The opportunity cost. Yeah, it's incredible. Right. Because it's not just the expense. It's also the time you could have been making money. Exactly. <laughs> Kanye's album, College Dropout, has it best in there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't forget about that drug habit you picked up being around all your peers. <laughs> Be the secretary, secretary, secretary. <laughs> uh, good episode if you haven't heard it already. Yeah, check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. Uh, but I suppose we should wrap up with how to talk back to a statistic. So these are the five questions you should ask anytime you hear a stat to help you hopefully get closer to the truth of the matter. So the first question is, who says so? 
And so what he says about this is that the first thing you should look for is bias. The laboratory with something to prove for the sake of a theory, a reputation, or a fee. The newspaper whose aim is a good story. Labor or management with a wage level at stake. Right. So who's telling you the statistic and what, you know, what is their skin in the game? What do they want to be true? Exactly. That's I mean, also, before we even get into all of that, I feel like the this entire section, it, I just love he, that he put it in here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so useful. Yeah, exactly. This is I feel like the part that if you internalize, it helps a lot, which I need to do. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're just great questions to have at the back of your head. Uh, and I was I was hanging out with um, Taylor Pearson and he he pulled one of these out because I was mentioning, have you heard the statistic that like somewhere around 10% of people's fathers aren't who they think it is in the US? I've heard the stat. Yeah, but I haven't looked into it at all. Yeah. So it's, I mentioned that once in passing a conversation with Taylor and he was like, yeah, but how do they know that? Right. That's a good question. And that's like that's straight out of the book. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I should have thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. How do you get that data exactly? Do you go around asking people? Do you like genetically test everyone? It's kind of hard to say. You know, what's really fascinating is as you dig more into this stuff, you realize how many things are just small sample sizes and then that have just been extrapolated out. Yeah. Like assuming you have a perfect sample. Right. Well, and there's there's this other issue with a lot of these studies and stuff, too. I mean, one, most psych studies are done on like hungover college students. Right. They're, they're not done on demonstrative populations of, you know, American diversity. They're done on 30 like probably white Asian or Indian students who are studying psych or humanities and are required to do 10 hours of like lab experiment question answering to pass the class and i know because i was one of those people you don't really give a fuck about like <laughs> what you're saying you just show up i uh, like usually hung over or something and you just like check off boxes and whatever and then you go home like you're not taking it seriously you're not representing the population at large it's kind of nonsense data and there's this acronym uh weird i think it's weird uh let me see weird um, in science research, it's like white, Eastern, industrialized. Here it is. Or no, not white, Western. Western educated from industrialized countries, rich and democratic countries. So yeah, they're Western and educated and they're from industrialized, rich and democratic countries. So it, that that's the sample size that you're getting in almost all of these research studies. And that's definitely not going to be representative of humanity at large. I wonder if that's why so many, or at least a contributing factor for why so many of them can't be repeated. Yeah, that's got to be a big part of it. Yeah. They're just looking at a small group of college kids and it's not enough. Right. And I wonder if uh, like different types of schools too have different types of like results with things like that. Like I'd imagine, you know, Harvard's student body would be very different than like, I don't know, uh, Montana State or something. Yeah. Right. So... In particular, for something like psychology, definitely just so like upbringing dependent. Well, and also, I mean, the type of people who study psych are going to have very different answers from the people who study like engineering, right? Or that's true too. Architecture. <laughs> so there, there's even issues in within the micro sample, right? Yeah. So yeah, let alone like a construction worker or like 
a soldier or something or a Maasai tribes person from Africa, right? Like, yeah, you can, there's, there's whole layers of differences between people that don't get explored in most of this research. Right. Or even like if you're from a capitalist society versus a communist society versus Mm -hmm. a tribal society. Yeah. It's just like all of your basic assumptions would be different. Yeah. Very true. So that was the first one. Who says so? The second one is the one I just mentioned from Taylor. How does he know? So watch out for evidence of a biased sample, one that's been selected improperly or has selected itself. Ask the question we dealt with in an early chapter. Is the sample large enough to permit any reliable conclusion? All right. So how do they actually know what they're saying? Right? What were their methods? What are they basing it on? Does it even make sense that they could know this? Um, which is actually another one of them. This doesn't make sense, which is, <laughs> which is honestly the most useful one, right? Because sometimes you'll hear a statistic and you'll just be like, it doesn't make sense that that would be true, right? Yeah, there was an example he gave in the book, which was around uh, cancer diagnosis, right? I don't remember that. What was it? Uh, It was one where I think the rate of cancer diagnosis went up like some ridiculous amount from this year to like X year to Y year. And the point he brought up was uh, it's not that the rate of cancer increased that much. It's that the diagnostic tools were that much better. Yeah. Right. But like the conclusion, the article he was calling out was trying to draw was like cancer has gone up so much in the past 10 years. Or really, that was probably way less of the explanation <laughs> and much more was just the diagnostics. It's a mix of improving screening and people living long enough to get cancer. Right. Exactly. Well, th- there's actually a flip side to that, too, which is that people will say that we've significantly improved cancer survival rates. But that's based on five-year survival rates, and we've Mm. started detecting cancer a lot earlier. And so survival hasn't actually gone up that much for a lot of cancers. We just detect it early enough so that you get through the five-year window, and then you die. Right. Uh, (laughs) Which might actually be the same. It's not the the medicine might not have done anything. Exactly. It's probably the same age you would have died at anyway. The medicine didn't have to improve at all. We just caught it earlier. But in the statistics, it looks like survivability has gone up. Right. Yeah, that's why like a lot of the medical stats are just gamed also beyond belief. Pretty fishy. Yeah. The next one is what's missing. So yeah, this is where the cancer one comes in, right? Ah, yes. Okay, yep. So uh, a report of a great increase in deaths from cancer in the last quarter century is misleading unless you know how much of it is a product of such extraneous factors as these. Cancer is often listed now where causes unknown was formerly used. Autopsies are more frequent, giving sure diagnoses. Reporting and compiling of medical statistics are more complete, and people more frequently reach the most susceptible ages now. And if you are looking at total deaths rather than the death rate, don't neglect the fact that there are more people now than there used to be. Right. All right that's the other really big one. <laughs> you know, cancers might have gone up 20%, but if the total number of people went up 50%, then that's actually a good thing. Then we're doing well. Yeah. Then we're doing well. Uh, the the, the uh, Johns Hopkins example earlier was also really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to read this from the book. Sometimes it is percentages that are given and raw figures that are missing. And this can be deceptive too. Long ago, when Johns Hopkins University had just begun to admit women students, someone not particularly enamored of co-education reported a real shocker. 33 and one third percent of the women at Hopkins had married faculty members. The raw figures gave a clearer picture. There were three women enrolled at the time and one of them had married a faculty man. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) The the example I always like to give of this is that sometimes I'll I'll talk to a startup or a site and they'll be like, yeah, you know, we're we're growing 10% month over month. And I'm like, all right, but 
did you go from 100 to 110 visitors or did you go from, you know, 100,000 to 110,000, right? Per- raw percentages can be misleading fairly frequently, right? Because if they're taking a super small base rate for the percentage, then you haven't really been told anything. Exactly. Well, base rate arguments in general are kind of interesting where it's like, uh, what's what's the one? Um, I mean, in general, some of the diversity stuff. Right, where it's like, we should have an equal balance of like representation for everyone. And it's like, well, you have to ask, you know, what's the base rate that we're doing that off of, right? Right. Not just at the population level, but also at the like applicant and interested level. Right. Well, that's where it gets to some of the gender stuff too, with like computer science or something. Right, right. I, I saw something the other day. It was this big thing going around Twitter that was like, uh, it said something like, women are more than 50% of the people in the US, so they should be more than 50% of the elected representatives, which is not like a bad idea in and of itself, but it would be an issue if significantly there were significantly like fewer women than men who wanted to do it, right? Yeah. Because then it would be like, well, how do you, then how do you balance it, right? Right. And what, you know, what if there are 51% women senators and then another woman wants to run? Do you tell her like you can't, be a senator right like right is there a limit to this rule i don't know the what's missing base rate thing is like a fairly common one yeah so people will argue for something or say something as a statistic or whatnot without talking about whatever the related base rates are it's the same thing with the cancer one all right exactly i mean i got into a similar to your elected representative thing i got into a discussion with one of my friends who's uh this summer he was interning at uh one of the like large wall street banks Mm-hmm. And an observation he made was that there were more women than men in his intern class. But then if you look at like leadership in the bank, it was almost entirely male. And it, there were like a few women, but not like n- not anywhere close to the percentage that were there for his intern class. And and even like the more entry level employees were, you know, it skewed more 50-50 in that sense. And then as people got more senior, it was more more and more male. And, you know, I brought up, I was like, I'll be honest, like, I have no interest in working a 100 hour week at a bank, right? And I'm sure there are a ton of people, men and women who don't want to, but there might skew female of people who don't want to do that type of crazy job. Yeah. And that could just that could account for it. it doesn't mean it's like, yeah, I'm not saying like no banks are sexist, right? But like, there probably is less sexism and more just lack of like a lot of people who are just not interested in that shitty job. <laughs> you don't even have to go that far. I, I think at the very least, you can say it's not 100% discrimination, right? Yeah. It's like there there can definitely be some discrimination, but that doesn't mean that some discrimination means all differences are discrimination. I think that's the best way to say it. Yeah, that's like the Foucault discipline and punish argument, right? Is that as soon as you create any dichotomy, you necessarily create oppression, right? And that's kind of problematic <laughs> because right. if you create it in one direction, you're going to create it in the other direction too, right? Where it's like as soon as you start saying that you have to have a perfect balance of everything, then it necessarily becomes discriminatory the other way, right? So it's like, how do you balance that? And that's that's actually a good question, right? Like, I have no idea what the answer is, because the whole perfectly balanced arguments are kind of lazy, I think. Um, We talk about this problem a lot. Yeah, I know. It's well, and it's tough to have like a right answer on it. Yeah, yeah, it is really tough. Because yeah, because it's like, on one hand, there is, you know, there are definitely issues on, you know, what people are saying around discrimination, whether it's racial or gender, um, like that, it's not that that doesn't exist at all, right? But then there are, like, you can also take it too far the other way, where if you're setting like quotas, and like your representative example is perfect, 
it's kind of like, I mean, it creates a whole new set of problems. Um, it doesn't really solve everything. Like maybe there's just no utopia. Maybe that's the answer. Yeah. There's no perfect answer. There's no perfect answer. Um, all right. Should we move to the next one? Next one is, did somebody change the subject? I love this. <laughs> yeah. Is it a real statistic or is it, you know, based on some random reporting, right? So if you do a survey asking people how often do they bathe, they are probably not going to give you a completely honest answer. <laughs> They're going to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I shower really twice a day, right? When really it might be once every day or two. <laughs> right. The, the China example is hilarious. I love this one. Yeah, I'll read from the book. The population of a large area in China was 28 million. Five years later, it was 105 million. Very little of that increase was real. The great difference could be explained only by taking into account the purposes of the two enumerations and the way people would be inclined to feel about being counted in each instance. The first census was for tax and military purposes. The second was for famine relief. (laughs) (laughs) So... You got to know how the data was collected and especially think about what incentives there could have been to misrepresent the data as it's being collected. Oh, yeah. Like tax and military. Obviously, you want to, you know, well, more people would want to not be counted. Um, <laughs> whereas famine relief, everybody would want to be counted perhaps even more than once. Count your dead relatives. Count everyone. Yep. <laughs> And then the last one is the one we already touched on, which is, does it make sense, right? If you hear a stat and you go like, eh, that doesn't, like, I don't totally buy that, then that's usually a pretty good sign that you should at least be skeptical. I feel like, especially if you, you know, listen to this show and read books like this, you have a decent intuitive sense of what may or may not be bullshit. And so, you know, when you hear something, you can kind of go like, eh, you know, I'm not sure I buy that. Exactly. Well, yeah, and if it's too incredible, you know, there's a chance it's real, but you should look into it. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to research it. It's like we were talking about earlier in the show, right? We've got these magical, you know, pocket devices where we can fact check anything someone throws out now pretty quickly. We do it live on the show sometimes. Right. So and even more often in the bonus material. It's true. We were just researching Sphinx conspiracy theories for like 20 minutes. It was great. You should check it out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But we also say more outlandish things on the bonus material, which you only know if you subscribe. That's true. Yeah. that's where we that's where we say all of our really just like vile terrible shit that we can't put on the public radio exactly (laughs) npr will cut our funding if we if we say the really bad stuff here so you've got to join through the patreon if you want to get access to it yep join for all the bad stuff (laughs) all the bad stuff yeah (laughs) um but no i think i mean so that's kind of how the book uh wraps up but i would say i mean this is a book i'd recommend everyone to you know have on hand like it's just a really good little pocket guide as you said at the beginning and it's a quick read and it's a really fun read too it's like laugh out loud funny at parts it's not a textbook yeah it's not a textbook it's very entertainingly written very quick super useful there's no fluff it's a great it's a great little book yeah it took like i mean it did not take very much time to finish but i definitely remember laughing a few different times yeah when reading it yeah, it's just a very good book and quick. And I think it's one of those books that uh, you probably will internalize a lot of these, but um, it's nice to have it on hand. And I'm sure you'll, I'm sure both of us will revisit these rules as we hear outlandish statistics all the time. Oh, yeah. It's a good book to like keep in your periphery, yeah. you know, to like have in your living room or in your office where you can see it and get reminded like, oh, yeah, I'm probably being lied to today. Right. So I think that's a good good kind of outlook to have especially in in this day and age where there's just random statistics being thrown around everywhere for everything yeah like did you know 47 percent of all statistics are fake yeah i've heard that (laughs) (laughs) 
No, but yeah, you're like you're totally right. It, it in this day and age, especially because it's so easy one to make something up and two to shout about it on the internet. Yep. Yeah, having something like this on hand is is very helpful, and it's also I can see these techniques being useful to like bring an argument back down to earth. Where if you have like I don't know two friends or somebody who you're talking to getting really worked up about a stat, and then you can just be like, well, like let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Maybe you'll piss them off more, but you'll probably, you know, maybe help them see um, or, or maybe just diffuse the situation a little bit by diving into what's actually behind numbers. Um, sometimes people don't want to hear that, though. So it could go either way. I was going to say, it depends on the friend. Some people will not like that at all. Yeah. Although I don't know if I, I don't I like it's hard for me to say I wouldn't be like friends with them if they reacted badly to it. But there's like. I don't know, a certain openness you would kind of have to have to have one of these discussions, right? I can yeah, see them. That's true. Yeah, I can see somebody reacting very badly also if you call out their source. Well, there's another version of it that I, I invoke every now and then that people don't like that much, but where somebody will say something like, oh, that person is, you know, always late, or oh, this company is like so terrible to its customers, or oh, you know, these products don't work. And then I'll say, because they usually they'll talk about something related to it before and they'll be like, do you have more than two examples? <laughs> right. And usually when people are saying that stuff, they've got like two close together examples of something happening. And so then they just extrapolate it into a rule. And I find that at least for me, that's a useful way to check my own tendencies to, you know, overinflate very small data sets. That's a great point. Um I feel like if you like doing that, because most people probably do that, right? I would imagine yeah. it's probably the vast majority of people. Um, that might be like an, the art of like how to lose friends. <laughs> if you just Because <laughs> like people throw that around all the time. Like, oh, so-and-so is always doing this. And uh, but yeah, you're probably right. There's like two examples that they're then extrapolating to always. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I'm going to try that to somebody. Yeah, not not a great way to make friends at dinner parties, but it is entertaining. <laughs> You've shared a lot of tactics on how to make dinner parties uncomfortable. <laughs> that's that's my favorite thing, you know. That, that was that was my latest blog post, social disobedience. Yeah, good blog post. Liked it. Thank you. Well, I appreciated your your editing help. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't change very much. I just gave a couple examples in there. Just got to make people uncomfortable at parties. How? Um, obviously, this is going to be aired like a month after, but is that getting some some views and some com- like comments on it? Uh, well, I don't allow comments on my blog, so... No, I mean, I think on Medium, you post on Medium. Yeah, I think it got some comments on Medium, but I don't read those because there's a lot of stupid people on Medium. Yeah, I was just curious what people... Because it like there was nothing in your article that I would say would be like offensive besides that you're going after like the holy grail of political correctness. Yeah, but we'll see. So, but you, you, you broke it down in like a very civil way. <laughs> people will find a way to be offended. Right. You know, I know there's at least one Medium comment on it. So let's go, let's go look. We'll do a live... Do a live check. Maybe a mean tweet type situation. <laughs> I really want to be I, I want to be famous enough that we get mean tweets. Oh, that'd be great. That would just make me really happy. People send us mean tweets. We'll feel good about ourselves. Exactly. Wow, it's got 160 claps on Medium already. That's nice. Yeah. I'm gonna give it some claps. Thanks, dude. Oh wait, I gotta sign in. I'll do it after. Wow, dude, it's got five responses. All right, let's see. Okay, nice article. I think it's inherently arrogant to assert that one has a responsibility to unfragilize the minds of others. This undermines your argument as it denotes another form of intolerance that is not based on articulating one's view for the purpose of adding value to a discussion. Rather, it is based on articulating one's view for the purpose of correcting a perceived flaw in the thought process of another person and is thus intellectually dishonest. Most people can smell that a mile away and respond accordingly. 
make a genuine effort to understand the views of others. And yeah, I, don't, I don't think she's disagreeing with me. I think it's just, no, I think it's yeah. a different way of saying it. The second one was really nice. Like pretty much just backing you up. <laughs> yeah. Some of these comments are like mini articles in themselves. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that is the one nice thing about medium is that people will write fairly long responses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like I like this guy Roy Koch who basically says that uh, be careful or else you'll get killed like Socrates that's a good analogy <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong like <laughs> people don't like it people don't like it all right we should wrap up yep so how did lie with statistics by Daryl Huff check it out highly recommend it we'll be doing a couple more very interesting books coming up and we're excited for those if you want to know Everything that's coming up on the show, you get access to that at the Patreon at patreon.com slash made you think. Most importantly, you also get our detailed book notes that we use to prepare for each show. And even more importantly, you get all the really fun bonus material, which is usually another like 10 to 20 some minutes per episode that we record before the show. We've been going 20 lately. Today was like 25. It was a long one. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So you get like a mini episode. You get a whole nother mini episode per episode. And that's at the $5 tier, right? Exactly. That's the $5 tier. We also do monthly hangouts now. And so we just did our last one earlier this week. It was super fun. Uh, I wish more of you could have been there, but you know, you weren't, uh, you weren't on the Patreon yet. So if you want to make sure you make it to the next one, then you should sign up because the next one is going to be like mid-September. I think September 15th or so we said, I want to say 15th, 13th. Uh, and this should be coming out a bit before that. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So if you want to make sure that you can join for the next hangout, uh, and I will mention that for the last one, we actually just brought everyone on live. You know, it wasn't just Neil and I talking and everyone else typing. It was, a you know, a close enough group that we could all just hang out and chat. We won't be able to do that for too much longer. So if you want to, you know, come hang out and chat and support the show, then you should definitely go over to patreon.com slash made you think. Check it out. Sign up. You know, we're doing this because we don't like ads. We always skip the ads. Uh, we don't want to feel like we need to subvert our honest unfiltered viewpoints to the whims of our corporate overlords so uh we're we're going with the the crowdfunded method and we're liking it so far yeah definitely definitely check it out and uh, i know we mentioned a bunch of links on this episode as well so um, if you want access to those you go to made you think podcast.com to the show notes page for this episode and uh, yeah a lot of these links will be on there as well as um, the wonderful detailed notes we always have about the episode but you want if you want our full notes you got to go to patreon yeah uh let's see anything else oh if you want another way to support the podcast uh if you go to made you think slash support we have some of our wonderful partners there and uh yeah check that out check that out and then the most helpful thing you can do as always is to tell your friends about the show so you know, tell them in person if you've got a blog or Twitter or Instagram or Pornhub profile and you want to blog about us on any of those, then we obviously appreciate it. <laughs> and leave a review on iTunes. I really hope somebody shouts us out on Pornhub. That'd be pretty cool if that's our top referring link. That'd be great. Yeah, it's just it's just somebody it's some it's somebody like jacking off and listening to us in the background. That's the, just two hours of that. It's the, it's the Jordan Peterson episode. <laughs> oh man! Uh, hey, a download's a download. You know, those are those are high those are high ARPU users. You know, average revenue per user for like porn and gaming, two of the highest highest industries. Exactly. I was going to say, Pornhub's probably one of the most popular websites in the world. So 
I think it is. I wonder what their yeah. Alexa rating is or Alexa ranking. Let's check. Let's check. Yeah, we're we're in the goof off part of the episode. So if anybody has like important things to do, feel free to um, go to the Patreon and sign up, and then and you're, <laughs> you're welcome to to boogie. You know, I have heard though that from some people, but granted, this is definitely a biased audience because it's people who we're actually friends with. They love our <laughs> outros. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that that's that was always our goal was to make the outros as entertaining as the original episodes. So I googled Alexa Pornhub and I just got a bunch of porn stars named Alexa. So here we go. Alexa top 500. I assume Pornhub would be the most popular porn site. Yeah. Unless there's like one in China or something. Yeah, there could be like a Chinese one. Oh, Pornhub's 27. Okay, I believe that. It's right below Netflix. (laughs) I love that. Although the daily time on site is significantly higher than Netflix. Really? It's 835 versus 157. Wow. Yeah, and average page views is quite a bit higher, too. Wait, how is that possible? Like, how much are people using Pornhub? <laughs> I don't know, man. 835 versus yeah. 157? Like, you would think Netflix, right? You're watching a show. Yeah. Who's only spending, like, two minutes on Netflix? Okay, you know what? We're messing up. We're messing up with our statistics here. <laughs> There's probably some, like, average time on site is probably the mean, right? I've got a theory. I've got a, I've got a good theory. Okay. Which is that people go to Netflix, they browse, and then they leave. They're like, eh, I don't really want to watch TV. I'm going to go back to Instagram or something, right? Yeah. But nobody goes to Pornhub to not actually watch porn, right? Like yeah. nobody goes and browses <laughs> for a minute and then leaves. Yeah. And so it's like, you know what? I'm not, I don't feel like doing yeah, this. It's like, yeah, I don't really want to get <laughs> off anymore. Like I'm going <laughs> to go for a run. That's a really good point. Right. Like that, that definitely is not happening. So. Reddit's time on site is insane. 13, 12. Dude. X videos, which is another porn site, is 15 minutes. Where's X videos? Uh, 44. Oh, wow. 10.81 page views. Jeez. It's like not even close. There's wow. no other site that comes that is above 10. I don't see a single other one. Well, Reddit. Reddit's 13. And VK. Twitter is so short. Twitter's 36 seconds. Yeah, I believe that, though. Yeah. So you hop on, you quickly get your update, and you leave. I was going to say, there's probably. I was expecting like Pornhub to have a smaller number. <laughs> <laughs> because of yeah, that it, it's 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 seven minutes of searching and then a minute and 35 of watching. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and then they end up on my site afterwards <laughs> <laughs> then they end up on your site yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then they end up on your app so it's a good it's a good cycle it's the whole sales funnel <laughs> i'm surprised twitch is only 540 that's a surprising one yeah I don't know. There could be some browsing thing there too. eBay must be fucking addictive for the people who use it. Nine twenty-two. Yeah, it's long. It's a lot. All right, Dang. this is fun. All right, we will wrap up for those of you who are still listening to us going through. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you. Check out the Patreon. Tell your friends. Uh, iTunes reviews. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Nat Eliason. I'm at the real Neil S. Yep. And we'll uh, we'll see you all next week. See you guys next time. Bye.